0: to episode 10 of the Quarcast. I'm Owen Newkirk across the interweb staring at me through his FaceTime viewer is Sean Shapiro looking years younger I might add <laughs> although this is not a new development this was from last week but nonetheless Sean 10 weeks two and a half months since this pause of the NHL season and our lockdown and stay at home stuff started and obviously restrictions are loosening up a bit mm-hmm. uh, there's a whole debate for a different type of CarCast, QuarCast podcast for whether or not they should be doing that. Good ideas. But we're going to save that for non-QuarCast stuff. Well, if we get
1: to it, we'll see. Yeah.
0: But how are you, sir, as we officially wrap up the month of
1: May? I have a light, funny story, actually, for you. Okay. Um, so this morning, um, I had a, I'm 31 years old. And this morning, I had a toasted Pop-Tart for the first time in my life. You're kidding me. I'm not. How did you make it
0: 31 years without eating one Pop-Tart? Well, no, 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 toasted. That's the key word here. So you're saying that you've been eating
1: raw Pop-Tarts? So the only, my, we didn't have Pop-Tarts in my house growing up as a kid. So I never had Pop-Tarts as a a kid. deprived child. (laughs) And so like when I got to college, uh, I've had Pop-Tarts in college. I would occasionally buy them from the convenience store. Um, or sometimes when I, especially when I was freelancing, i like, there'd be days where I was doing like six, seven things and I was running around and I was at the gas station. I might like actually just grab a pop tart from the gas station just, and always only ever ate them just right out, open the package and ate it. Man, so for all those people that don't have the time to cook a pop tart. <laughs> so I never, this, I never thought anything about it. I thought, oh, well, this is how you eat a pop tart. And... So this morning, my wife, Christina, she, she got some the other day in our Instacart order or Amazon Fresh. Whoever delivers our groceries right now, I'm not even sure. <laughs> um, this morning, she's watching TV with Evie, and she said, hey, can you go make me a Pop-Tart? And I look at her, and I'm like, I mean, they're already made. What do you mean by make you a Pop-Tart? She says, yeah, just open it and make it. I'm like, I have no idea what you mean. They're already made. It's already constructed. I opened the package. She's like, like." Oh, Put it in the toaster i'm like wait you How put pop long I- have you guys been
0: married now
1: uh we were eight we celebrated an eight year wedding anniversary okay. in february so
0: we'll be hitting 10 yeah. in Ju- in july it's weird <laughs> to think that you could discover anything new about your spouse having been together as long as you guys are or my wife yeah. and i have and yet hmm isn't that wonderful? A new yes, discovery. It is. You <laughs> had no idea that you were completely ignorant of the ways of the Pop Tart.
1: I had no idea and so <laughs> and and so she's like, Yeah, you just put it in the toaster and then it's done. I'm like, I no idea. Um, you know, what's
0: funny about this is that Brian Regan, who's one of my favorite stand-up comedians, did a bit about Pop Tarts a while ago and one of them was the instructions on how to prepare a Pop Tart, because mm-hmm. there's a you know remove from step one, remove from pouch. Yeah. Step two, place in toaster. Uh, you know, and, and then he actually talks about how there's a microwave setting for three seconds. So you could have had <laughs> your, he goes, if you need more than five seconds to have breakfast, or he said, if, if you can't do breakfast in less than five seconds, then you <laughs> may have to readjust your schedule a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, what's funny about this is you bring this up. Uh, Danny Bayless uh, actually played this on the ticket i think it was late last week or early this week uh during the hardline the three to seven show with Mm -hmm. bob sturm and corby davidson and they did a segment with this part it was hilarious it's just so coincidental that you're talking about this within a week of this going on yeah so i had no idea and so okay so
1: the big reveal it was good it was good i mean it was it made all the other pop tarts we have had in the past feel kind of bland (laughs) Yeah. I mean,
0: half of a Pop-Tart, half of the name is the sound of it popping out of the toaster.
1: Well, and I I guess I always thought the word Pop-Tart was like, oh, pop, like poppable, like, oh, you're on the run. Pop, here, have food. Oh, my God.
0: I'm putting my head in my hands, face palm. I know you can't see that, but you know what? Now that you're our wiser today, the world is going to feel like a better place. Yes. Which is good because reporters are getting arrested during protests by state police officers yeah. and things are on fire. And we, you know what? I saw a really funny video this morning, Sean. I was going through Twitter and somebody in Ottawa discovered a full-grown moose swimming in their backyard pool. Ah. And he was just chilling in there like, yep, out for a morning dip. So... These are the kind of things we need when the when the world's on fire. We need more Pop Tart ignorance and moose in pools. Yeah. So. All right. So, uh, I guess the other question was was it a frosted Pop Tart?
1: Um, I mean, it had the frosting on top of it. Yes. That's what I mean. So yes. you're
0: aware that there are uh, there are regular Pop Tarts and then ones with frosting on one side.
1: Wait, there are ones that don't have frosting. Oh my God. <laughs>
0: Yes, the original Pop-Tart did not have a frosting uh, on one edge. It was just the pastry with a little... I've, on-
1: I, I, I've only ever had them where they have the frosting on the one I side. I mean, the
0: frosting are way better, but... Yeah,
1: but I've only ever had the frosting on one side. I, I the did, original
0: I, Pop-Tart did not have frosting on it. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, you weren't, you weren't missing much.
1: But. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow.
0: Um, should we end the carcast right now? Is that Have we covered all we need to cover today?
1: <laughs> I don't think anything else happened this week, right? <laughs> oh God, what didn't happen
0: this week? Um, no, but that's actually a good segue because I don't know if it's a good segue, but it is yeah. a segue. Huge news dump this week for the NHL. Uh, Tuesday's announcement from Gary Bettman on national television uh, announced that they have formally, although we knew it was going to happen, formally agreed to a 24-team playoff format. More specifically, the big announcements were the regular season is now officially over. They named <laughs> the end-of-season award winners for statistics of who scored the more, most goals, points. Uh, obviously, the Richard, Maurice Rocket Richard, the Art Ross, the Jennings for the, the best goalie tandem for statistically, uh, which was the Boston Bruins, Tukarask and Yaroslav <laughs> Halak. So now it's only playoffs, and then they announced the format, and there were some details, Sean, that we didn't quite know. And they still seem to be haggling out. There's a lot of de- of minutia that they are still figuring out. For example, will the play-in games that we'll get to in a moment count as playoff games, regular season games, or some weird anomaly where they don't actually exist but they happened?
1: And yeah, it's 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 kind of it's. There's a lot of weird things. I mean, obviously, that's one of the kind of. That's one of the minutiae that's the most fascinating because you think it's silly and says, oh, well, it's it's just a game. Who cares? But there are things that actually, there are actually things that tie into it, like in multiple ways. Like, for example, the Stars, for example, just to use, and they still don't have an answer. The one that, that's fascinating to me is Andre Sekera is three games away from a $100,000 bonus. Uh, a, is the NHL going to prorate that? Are they going to say, well, he would have hit 60 games if he got 82, but... Andre Sekara plays all three games in that round robin and those aren't playoff games. Yeah. What kind of games are they? Are they, is that 70 games? I mean, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of things to tackle. And I think we're, we're going to do kind of a whole segment on kind of that laundry list a little bit yes. more of some of the, 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 the micro of it. But I think on a macro level, just, just to kind of just take it from the top here. What'd you think of the format that they, they've, they put out in front of us?
0: Yeah. Uh, so the thought for me is that no format's perfect. Ideally, it would be... I mean, look, we've been having discussions recently of should the NHL expand its 16-team playoff format that currently, under normal yep. circumstances, should they have an 8-9 or an 8-10, to 10, you know, a 7-8-9-10, or yep. some sort of play-in round anyway? And there's been discussions about adding to that. Ideally, I think a 20-team would have been great, um, but we talked about it last week why twenty four mm-hmm. made sense because it it gave a couple of giant markets, Chicago and Montreal a chance to be in the playoffs, and the Florida Panthers, New York Rangers, which really was the dilemma so i 'm yeah. okay with it honestly, from the like there's there's all sorts of things that you could say are good or bad about it i'm just glad that they have a plan because a lot yeah. of the leagues seem like they're still not even there, so good on the NHL for being you know relatively. Focused and getting something done. And honestly, Sean, more than anything else, it was just nice to do some hockey talk that wasn't really centered around coronavirus. Of course it is, but what I mean is it was really nice to just pontificate about who deserves what place, how things might work. It almost felt like a normal hockey day for a little bit, didn't it?
1: A little bit. I mean, and the other thing too that I'm going to just, I think one thing that's just an important point that I think I've been kind of saying throughout all of this is I had people cuz it was it was it was somewhat confusing and if you're if you haven't been in, in the weeds on this and everything like that you could be kind of come in from a side like I had a couple friends who aren't major hockey fans who texted me so the NHL's coming back what's the date? Huh. Because it because it's I could understand a bit of that confusion of hey there's this big press conference oh they've got to be announcing hey we're playing and this is going to be when we're going to be playing. Right. And On one hand, I understand some people saying like, oh, that's a lot of, that's a lot, this is a lot of uh, pomp and circumstance for just a plan. But on the flip side, I think one of the, I give actually, I think transparency and kind of having a plan out there right now is important because I think it's something where it gives us all an idea of we're not going to be, say, say this is able to go, say August 1st, I'm just going to pick a date out of the air. Say August 1st is when the season could start, resume. Um. It's not like the NHL can get the word at, on July 15th saying, hey guys, ready to go, go ahead. And then say, okay, well, we have to figure it out now. And so I think kind right. of being transparent about the, the plan. And then I think also just it's one of those things where obviously so many of these internal things and these minor things that we're going to talk about The fact they have, they're going to be discussed. I think getting them out into the public specter probably also helps too, because it's something where, well, obviously the decisions will be made on the people by the NHL and the people inside. I think there are certain things that having this information out there, maybe that leads to a larger discussion or a better discussion, and maybe and gives someone a better idea. Like I think just at this kind of having as much transparency as possible in all this, I don't think it's a bad thing.
0: Yeah, and I think that the discussions are good for it because it gave some positive news for the sports world to talk about and people to digest. And So some of the details, obviously we talked about a little bit about the proposal last week, but the Stars are one of the top four seeds in the Western Conference because they determined that points percentage was going to be how they d- uh, decided who went into what place. Obviously they weren't going to play any more regular season games, so they couldn't get it so that everybody had played the same number of games. So they went with point percentage, which benefited Dallas, because if they had gone strictly with points, Dallas would not have been in the top four. Yeah. Um, so they are one of the teams that will play in this, as Sean mentioned, round robin of four teams in the West, four teams in the East, separate round robins. Mm-hmm. It'll be a quick group stage like that you see in the World Cup or uh, you know knockout competitions in European soccer, where... They will play each other once, so three games per team, four teams. Whoever has the most points, whoever wins the group gets the number one seed, and the others will be slotted in two, three, and four, depending on their performances. Yeah. And then I think they said regular season record will be the tiebreaker. The tie They'll right? be the tiebreaker, Which is good. Yeah, so. um, yeah, it's not perfect, right? Uh, St. Louis and Colorado have a pretty good gap over Vegas and Dallas. Boston yeah. has a pretty good gap on everybody. I understand that they would be upset, but at the same time, there is no perfect solution. I think having some meaningful games for those teams are really important before the qualifying round of teams ranked 5 through 12, then move into the first round, which is the regular eight teams per conference.
1: I agree. I think the one gripe, and I think maybe you could have... The one th- the one mod- slight modification that I would have suggested is just... And, and it's I don't think... And I don't want it completely tiered, but I think maybe the Boston Bruins and the St. Louis Blues should have gone into this round robin with maybe like I don't know, maybe you give them like, hey, here's a handicap 1.5 points or something like that, right? Right. Like I think I think that's the one thing where maybe I would have said. Otherwise, I don't really, I can't think of a better solution. but no. I think just for how far ahead the Bruins were, they won the President's Trophy. They there should have been some more reward for a team like that. And so if if, if they go. And maybe it's giving them a bonus point or, or something like that in the round robin. I don't know what it is, but that would have been my one kind of attempted tweak, I think. But you had to find a way to get guys playing where it wasn't going to be. And there are going to be. Every team's going to play two exhibition games before all of this. Um, but you had to find a way where the guys from those top four teams weren't jumping onto a highway with these these teams that are going at 100 miles an hour already. So one of the things that Gary Bettman
0: also announced was that they were planning on two hub cities once things commenced mm-hmm. for play, not four, which yeah. was one of the initial reports was it was going to be four, and then uh, it's going to be two. And, and the other part that was interesting was the fact that they've whittled it down to 10 markets mm-hmm. that are still available, uh, a lot in the west, only a couple in the east, and frankly, Sean, it felt like well, there were several Canadian cities listed that obviously nothing's decided now. They said they were going to wait, what, about six weeks, I think, to try to name uh, the hub? We're uh, uh, from, he said about three to four weeks. Three to four weeks, okay. Yeah. And the reason is that the, he said right now, as of right now, they could not have a hub in Canada because the Canadian government has a mandatory 14-day quarantine for anybody arriving in the country. Well, mm-hmm. you can't have a training camp and then have 14 days off and then be ready to play. It's just yeah. that's not feasible. So um, that actually led to some interesting topics from some of the Canadian team general managers about what they're going to do when they get to the training camp phase, which is phase three. We'll get into more of the phases yeah. in the second segment here. But uh, there's a lot going on of that. And frankly, Sean, I, as much as the NHL would like to have one of their hubs be in Canada – Right now, I'm not feeling very optimistic that that's going to happen.
1: I understand why they've said it, but also to me, it doesn't make sense. Okay, because here's the thing, like, uh, people, there's no fans. There's no fans either way in this setup. So right. Right. it's not like having the games in Toronto or Columbus, just to pick two places that are on there. If, if, they, if, they, if, if there's a hub in Toronto or Columbus, it's not going to be different how people are going to watch on television in Canada. It's not going to be different. It's not like you're going to have people in... In, in, in Winnipeg are going to say, I'm not going to watch because they didn't put a, the hub city in Canada. So I, I think that's involving the Canadian fan base is something that this has nothing to do with that. And I also just don't see any... Uh, I don't see any reason to not put both hubs in the same country. Like, that's, to me, that's just one of the bigger things. Like, you, you've got so many moving parts and so many difficult things to figure out. Why are we introducing international travel before the Stanley Cup final, or maybe even the conference final, if we're going to move teams to the same hub before that, why are you adding that wrinkle when when you need to try and keep it as simple as possible? So to me, and I, I think that the NHL needs to either say, hey, we're going to be, it's going to be Vegas and Columbus or Edmonton and Toronto. I'm just picking, Sure. just basically, it needs to be two American cities or two Canadian cities, just because we need to have it as simple as possible where... We've got, uh, we don't have to worry about, and then that also allows teams to not have to worry about these immigration things. It, they only have to worry about it once. They don't have to worry about it multiple times. So um, I, I think, and, and the other thing, too, just kind of on the hub city, it's something where I know just we should just discuss this real quick. Dallas is still on that list, right? Yep, one of
0: the 10, the 10 cities still uh, up for yep. consideration.
1: The Stars have made the, have made a presentation to made a presentation to the league about a month ago. They kind of discuss went over a couple things and everything. And, and Stars Stars President Brad Alberts told myself and Matt DeFranks from the Dallas Morning News on the phone the other day that yeah, Dallas checks all the boxes. We we, we fit. Um, I think one thing that people need to know as far as And I think this is from a fan perspective, and I think it's something that people need to check and just kind of, well, if Dallas gets a hub city, it's good for those hotels. It's good for local hotels. It's probably good for some local restaurants that will be doing some catering and things like that. But I think people need to remember that it means nothing to you as a hockey fan you're not going to be able to see this in person. There's not going to be anything. They're not going to let you near the rinks. And so I think that's something that just needs to be remembered with this hub city and this bubble they're talking about, where even if Dallas gets selected, it's not like... It, it, you and I probably will not even be allowed to be there. I mean, based off everything I've heard, like right. they, they, the, the NHL playoffs, everything could be happening 25 minutes from me right now, and I'm not going to be allowed to be there based off how everything seems right now. So it would almost
0: be more... Difficult for us to have it be in Dallas because we know it's so close for us being where we would normally be on location. To yeah. have to sit at home and watch it on TV. Now again, small sacrifice yeah. is not the end
1: of the. Oh life, yeah, yeah, yeah. But
0: but um, kind of interesting side note that uh, there was the news yesterday that Texas Governor Greg Abbott uh, approved fans in for professional sporting events outdoors. Now obviously mm-hmm. that doesn't affect hockey at all. Yeah. Uh, but. It is the kind of thing where state-to-state... State, and that, what I really bring that up is not to talk about that issue, but state-to-state state is very different right now. And mm-hmm. so that's why the NHL chose not to name their hub cities now when they did the announcement. They thought they would wait until they get closer to the point where they feel they might be ready to announce the beginnings of Phase 3, or at least a target date for, yeah. for Phase 3. One thing they did uh, memo the players was yesterday... Or was it on Wednesday? Wednesday or Thursday, they said that the phase three training camps will not start before July 10th.
1: Yeah, that was yesterday. So that
0: basically (laughs) suggests that if you're going to have three or four weeks of of training camp, it sounds like they might, that three is a a number tossed around a lot. Yeah. That we're probably going to see August hockey at the earliest.
1: Yeah, I think so. Not
0: starting earlier than that. Basically, I think there's no chance. Um, And. That's fine. I mean, if you start in August, you have August, September, maybe end October, uh, off-season in November, and you're in that December to January window to start, as they said they were willing to anyway. I think that's been on the table the whole time.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, One thing that's going to be just kind of, it's going to be interesting to see as you talk about these hub cities and how they come together and everything. Um, I had not, one of the things that I've kind of just been thinking about more lately is you think about the arena's that have the subterranean entryways are going to be more and more like that, that that obviously fits well for the American Airlines center. You could get the players in the bus and there's an entry where you can get there in and there's no, it's why one of the things, well, I remember through a crowd. Exactly. And I saw, I remember seeing originally I saw when LA was on the list, my original thought was, well, LA has got such these high numbers, but then you remember that LA live complex where they have the, Subterranean entry from that, J- that JW Marriott into the Staples Center. So you literally can live in this complete bubble. Um, so it's, um, I think it's going to be interesting to see which hub cities get picked. If Dallas gets picked, it'd be good for the local economy in sorts for sure, because obviously you'd have some hotels oh, be making. It's
0: massive. Some- I mean, there'd be 12 teams, right? Yeah. Of at least what they said 50 players maximum. Yeah. So that's 600 people. And the cost of money goes along with that. Plus some sort of television production setup. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole lot of things to, it wouldn't be, it would be good for Dallas. It wouldn't be the same as getting the winter classic where you can get millions and millions of revenue, but it wouldn't hurt.
1: No, it would be good for the city, but it also, it's not something where it's going to be. It's not going to be good for the hockey fans other than maybe it's a bragging right where you say, oh, the NHL came here, but that's it. Right. So,
0: so one last thing before we get to our second segment is the fact that the number of games for the rounds of the playoffs have not yet been determined, mm-hmm. which I think is interesting. Now, uh, it sounds, Sean, like the qualifying rounds are definitely going to be best of five. Um, I don't think that, that there's going to be a best of seven for that. I think they pretty much said best of five, which is good because I don't think I would have liked best of three. Where you could do all this yep. and lose two games and go home. Yeah, At I didn't least like three that. Three out of five gives you a little bit more. But uh, Gary Bettman said that the first and second rounds of the actual playoffs, because technically, as we're talking about hockey semantics here, yeah, the qualifying round is what will be the first round of action. But it's to get into the sixteen teams. Yeah, it's a, it's a
1: qualifying round. That's what it
0: is. So. Uh. That'll be best of five, and then they said first and second rounds are, have yet to be determined whether it be best of five or best of seven, but guaranteed that the conference finals and the Stanley Cup final will be best of seven. Yeah. So what do you think about all that?
1: Uh, if, if it means, obviously I'd like to see the best of seven integrity for the first two rounds. However, if this is a point where, hey, we're not going to start till August 15th, I'm fine with best of five for the first two rounds if it means keeping the next schedule on the next season on a little bit better schedule. I'm fine with that. I actually think that's
0: exactly why they left it up in the air. Is that they, I think they want to do best of seven for four rounds of playoffs. Yeah. I think that they don't know with any certainty that August 1st or 15th would be a start date. And so if it turns into September they might need to shorten those rounds just to make sure that they can start the following season by January.
1: The other thought that I had the other day, too, is if you go best of five for the first two rounds, you are minimizing the bubble time for the teams eliminated. Sure. Which is just... And obviously, which those Which is teams, the majority of the teams. Which, yeah, the majority of the teams. And, and so I, I think maybe that might, that's something that I thought about the other day. Of Good point, yeah. If, if you're going to lose in five games, you, you know... I guess if you're going to round one, you know you'll either be home in eight days or you'll be advancing. There's not, oh, I could be here for 12, 13 days. It could take for a seven game series. So it's like.
0: So that's what the, the major announcement was on Tuesday. Lots more to figure out as far as the smaller moving parts and how everything comes together. But a framework has been decided upon. And now the next step is what we're going to discuss in our next segment, which is the announcement that came prior to this big one, which was phase two and then three and four. So some phase talk coming up next. About phases, as we learned, Sean, earlier in the week, was it, was it on Monday of this past week or was it over the weekend? I don't even remember now. It's been, yeah, it's it's been, been a... quite a week for me, but we'll save the <laughs> other issues around the Newkirk household for another day. But um, the NHL, before it even announced the big thing on Tuesday, which was, of course, the format, and we didn't even touch on the draft lottery we'll have to get to that later, um, is the fact that the NHL had a 22-page protocol announcement, uh, and in this was how they could get to phase two. Phase one is self-quarantine, locking down, facilities closed other than for injury rehab purposes. Mm-hmm. So now we're, they've, they've, they haven't announced when phase two is going to begin, but phase two is, th- they're ready for it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which is opening facilities and allowing teams to have players use the ice in small groups and work out. And it was, uh, you and I both read through the whole thing. It's a very comprehensive list. I would imagine that to get to phase three, which is the full team training camps, and eventually phase four, which is playing the games of the playoff format, is going to require even bigger safety features.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you thought a 22 page document was large, just wait till we see what phase three and four look like documents. Um, there's some really interesting things for phase two, uh, both within that both pertain to that document and that pertain to some other things that I've done some reporting on in the past week where one of the biggest thing, obviously the first one is just what is phase two is groups of six. So you can skate with groups of six and you have, uh, but 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 that but once you go into that group of six, it's a bubble. It's that group of six is the only six players you can skate with. Um, and one of the things that's kind of fascinating is, so you take the Stars, for example. As this moment, um, last time I checked, I believe there are eight current players on the NHL roster that stayed in Dallas. Um, and you have those eight, so those eight for sure will probably will, will take part in phase two in Frisco. Um, but you have the rest of the stars are kind of all spread around the world. I believe Joe Pavelski is the only other one that is not, that is doesn't have to travel internationally to get back. He's back right. in Wisconsin. Um, so you have kind of this, this phase two where in phase two is optional. That's the other thing people need to remember. Phase two is not, you're not required to be there. And so I've talked to a bunch of players, and I did a story with Joe Smith uh, over in Tampa. He talked to some players, some Eastern Conference players. I've talked to some Western Conference players. A lot of players aren't coming back to their home respective markets for phase two. And there's, there's twofold to that. One, there's too many unknowns of what will immigration look like and everything like that. And also, you have this big issue of why am I coming back for phase two if there's no certainty there will be a phase three?
0: Fair fair point because, um, well, obviously I'm sure that all the players are clamoring to be able to get back on the ice. I I can't imagine many places are open for skating at all. Um, there was mm-hmm. that private rink in Ontario that opened and then shuttered after a day. Yeah. Even though they felt their protocols were safe, but the government for Canada said we want you to close voluntarily. This is not safe right now, in general, and that's a whole another issue that we've can discuss more later about whether people should be congregating in groups at this current moment during the pandemic. But the phase two guidelines restrict groups of six players or fewer. Mm -hmm. But what I thought really stood out to me, Sean, was the fact that for players to participate in this, they had to uh, do a lot of things just to get in the building. They have to have this designated phone app where they have to enter in and take their own digital uh, temperatures orally every day, and mm-hmm. then they have to get to the facility, and they're not supposed to carpool. They're, trying to, they're supposed to avoid social interaction with their teammates outside. They're not allowed to car Not, lar- not right. supposed to, just not allowed so to not carpool. Not allowed to. Uh, they've been told to stay away from each other, so don't go golfing or hang out for lunch afterwards. Mm-hmm. And then once they get to the facility... So it would be the Star Center in Frisco. They have to have a forehead thermometer, the infrared temperature taken. Then when they get inside, they're, not, they're really discouraged from using the showering facilities, which uh, led to a funny text conversation between you and me about uh, the trouble of the wealthy that may have to designate a certain luxury car as the one they sit with sweaty.
1: Yes, yeah, a sweaty car. <laughs>
0: I would love to have the kind of financial resources that I could say, well, this is my jag, and it's only for when I'm sweaty. Because I don't want to ruin the le- leather in my Mercedes. Sweaty jag. Sweaty jag. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then, but, but perhaps even more interesting was the fact that, uh, obviously, they have cleaning protocols so that after that group gets done skating or using the weight room, they clear out. Nobody can come in until the cleaning crew can clean every possible surface then the next group goes in and what really stands out is that they want designated staff for Mm -hmm. each potential group meaning athletic trainer strength and conditioning coach equipment manager whatever they do coaches are supposed to stay away and that i think stretches the limitations of what staff each nhl team actually has
1: yeah I mean, and it's so like the Stars, for example, to remedy this somewhat. They're going to bring up the equipment staff and the, the trainers from the Texas Stars down right. in Cedar Park. But but that really only allows you to expe- extend one more group. That's all it does. Like, so there are, there are some things where, I know Jim Nill has told me, where they've looked at it and things like that, where, frankly, with Phase 2, it might even be more beneficial to have the fins. He's got his three fins all it may be more beneficial for them to skate back in Helsinki with other NHL players where it's not, uh, where he doesn't, and then he doesn't have to worry about staffing a group of, of uh, this, uh, larger staff down here. Um, the other thing just about it too, is just you have these groups of, once you get into this bubble, that's your bubble until we get to phase three and that's it. Right. There's no groups, no changing of groups, no interacting with someone in the other group. So just to give a hypothetical example Jordy Ben is, lives in Dallas and he lives in Dallas full time in the offseason. I believe he's down here right now. Other NHL players are allow, in the market are allowed to use, they're are, are supposed to be given every opportunity to skate at other facilities if they live in a different market. If Jordy Ben and Jamie Ben aren't in the same group, Jordy Ben and Jamie Ben cannot see each other. Just to kind of give an example. Um, or if Ben, ben Bishop and ben, ben Bishop is Ben Bishop and Jamie Ben aren't in the same group, they live right down the street from each other. They cannot see each other. Right. So it's very this this group is a is a strict bubble. And of course, they're
0: supposed to be on lockdown to begin with. Yes. But yes. But again, that's players self isolating.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. So it, it is. You have um, kind of what is this all going to look like? If, and then the other thing too is obviously with no coaches and things like that. The other fascinating thing that I hadn't thought about, but I read the other day, um, I read the other day from Justin Bourne. He brought up this point, is he said, it's going to be fascinating to see how different groups practice. Because he he brought up the Pittsburgh Penguins as an example. He says if you end up in Sidney Crosby's group in Pittsburgh, (laughs) you are going to be put through like it's Team Canada training camp. If you end up, and he didn't name any names, he says if you, but it it says it says if Crosby and Malkin end up in in one group, and I think, I don't know where Malkin is right now, but if Crosby and Malkin end up in one group, the other four with them are going to be absolutely pushed to the limit.
0: Right. It's just the way they train.
1: Yes. Are there other, if if, if you have four, if, if you have a group of guys who, more depth players, guys like that, they may work hard, but they're not going to have the, the they're not going to have Sidney Crosby saying, okay, we're going to do an extra 20 minutes of this or that or whatever. Right. so it's something i hadn 't really thought about of what the dichotomy of these groups will be of how different groups train because you'll have some guys who are a little bit more intense in this way and, and even if you have even if you, even if you have a group text going, "Hey, you guys should do this and that or whatever, having that presence on the ice is obviously a huge thing.
0: So the stars will probably want that reciprocated elsewhere, just mm-hmm. like you said with the guys that are. On other teams, Blake Coleman. I I don't know if he's yeah, in yeah. town. Um, I believe he is. Louis Erickson. You seem. Uh, does he still have an off-season residence here? This is where he lives in the off-season. Right. Now, so yes. there's that. We just had Justin Dowling on the ticket last Saturday. Bruce and I <laughs> did for our last resort show, and he was up in Cochrane, uh, yep. which is the suburbs of Calgary. They had just moved back to Cochrane. I think he had had a place in Calgary for a while, and. Decided that they wanted to be back in the suburbs where his hometown is. And they have a baby daughter. Uh, A couple months ago, they became parents for the first time. He (laughs) and his wife, Meg. And so they were in Dallas for that. But they actually told all their family, their relatives, to cancel their flights into Dallas. Because they weren't, you know, this all pandemic was getting going. And they couldn't be able to see everybody, right? It's not safe. So... They went back to Calgary, and they were in the middle of their 14-day quarantine when we talked. Or we spoke with Justin on Saturday, and Sean, the grandparents, as you well know, as a as a mm-hmm. dad of a young child now, in Evie, is the pull of I want to meet my grandchild for the first time, especially when it's the first grandchild of the group, is mm-hmm. exceedingly high. It's like full-on tractor beam,
1: yeah. and
0: Just the idea that, you know, Justin and Meg and their daughter and their dogs get up to Canada and now they're in a self-imposed 14-day quarantine and they can't leave anywhere. And so the only in-person meeting between the grandparents and Justin's daughter is through a window. Yeah. It's crazy, right? So I bring that all up because eventually they'll be able to break their quarantine. They'll be able to end it. And then they get to see everybody. And you're going to want Justin Dowling to be able to use the Calgary Flames ice surface because there is no way they just went through that and they're going to immediately go right
1: back to Dallas and have to do it again. Correct. And, and you have the same thing going with, you have other guys too, where it's um, you want, to, if, if you have, uh, let's just take uh, Ty DeLandria, for example, because he, he's someone who could kind of be involved in all of this. You want... Now, I mean, th- this is where, like, places that have hotbeds that have a lot of players, it's going to be fascinating to see what the list looks like. Because if you're... All the players that live in the greater Toronto area, right? If, if the only place they're... Tech, if, you're, if you live in Toronto in the offseason, and that's where you are right now, um, there's going to be a long list of guys. You're going to need, like, 15 groups of six. Um, yes. where as opposed to Dallas, you only have three other guys. Arizona, I know Austin Matthews and Freddie Anderson are there, so maybe I mean they can go skate with the coyotes guys who stayed in, in, in Glendale. But it's it's gonna be fascinating to see how long this list ends up in those bigger cities. Like I know in Minnesota for in Minneapolis, for example, there's about fifty or so players that live there, fifty or so NHL players that live in Minneapolis in the offseason that don't play for the Minnesota Wild. So there's and that's
0: before all the Issues with George yeah. Floyd and the riots yeah. began, which is awful. And it makes you also, on a side note, Sean, just wonder if, as this is going through, does Minneapolis St. Paul suddenly lose its status as one of the hub cities? I guess they'll wait and see over the next couple of weeks, but it's yeah. not helping their cause. Yeah. So, a lot of details. It, it seems like the NHL, for better or for worse, I know that there's been. Vocal fans that say, "Just cancel the season, why even try to go through this? I get why. we've talked about why, but it seems like they're trying to do it as carefully as they can. They've have a, a, a great panel of experts in the medical field to help figure out these safety protocols so that everybody's safe. and they've also tried to do it in a way that they're not pulling resources from the general public's health, meaning, you know, hey, we're not going to ascertain tests for all our players, and then mean that people in hospitals don't have as many. And I think that that's been about as uh, decent a way as you can do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, the sentiment is there. I guess the question, too, that I just have right now, and I I don't know the answer is, um, is it going to be responsible to test everyone every day once you're in the hub city? Just as far as the amount of tests that will take, I would think they'd
0: probably do it a few times a week, not necessarily daily. Uh,
1: I mean, Gary Bettman said the other day it's going to be we're test guys every single day.
0: Okay, well, and
1: so I mean, and so I don't. That, that's one where I need to see the logistics of that. I don't know the answer of, I, but to me, that's the one where I wonder: is that responsible to, right, to test everyone every day? When
0: can they get I've, all those tests? Yeah, yeah, and what what cost?
1: Yeah. Um, The
0: last thing that we didn't talk about yet, because we've already done the phases. So phase two, small Mm -hmm. groups, um, working out, uh, not mandatory, so it's only volunteer, and obviously they can't enforce any of that. Phase three would be everybody congregating in their host cities, not hubs, but in their regular markets for training camp, or wherever they decide to do, if some of the Canadian ones decide to go to a U.S. spot for camp, and then phase four would be playing games. One of the things that we didn't touch on in the first segment, Sean, was that the, the star, uh, NHL also announced, Gary Bettman, on Tuesday, that they're going to wait and hold the draft after the playoffs are over, which I think is the right decision. But they mm-hmm. also are going to get a publicity PR pop in late June because they're going to hold the draft lottery phase one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think it was June 26th.
1: June 26th, yeah.
0: And... Look, we're not going to spend the next five minutes explaining a relatively convoluted set. No, it's actually not that difficult. There's a little bit of math involved, but basically what it is is they devised a way that they can have the draft lottery in late June and have some national attention, international, uh, about the NHL and this whole thing, and, and get people talking without actually knowing all the teams that are technically going to be eligible for the draft lottery. That's why they're doing it. Uh, yeah. in possible st- uh, phases.
1: Yeah, I mean, and just kind of the, the the simplest terms to put this and why they're doing it is content. Right. it gives exactly. something to talk about, um, and we'll talk about we'll probably talk about it more closer to that time. But that's that's it's something where it's it, it seems weird at first, and there are parts that are still semi weird. But as you look at it, you're like, okay, that's not as weird as initially thought. Right. So, so.
0: basically, we could find out the top seven. There's seven teams that aren't going to be in the playoffs in any way, shape, or form, right? The seven dwarfs. (laughs) That's good. I like that. Um, (laughs) So if they run three rounds of a draft lottery and all three winners are of those seven teams, then you know the top seven picks in the draft, which teams will have it, and then you'll know the next, what, eight teams will be the ones that are playing in the qualifying round that lose. Mm-hmm. They'll get slotted in, and then they'll go from there. If, But they'll have these sort of placeholders in for the teams that could be in there, but we won't know until after the play-in, which could wait. We may not know until mid to late August or even early September. So it yeah. gives them a chance to do that, as we said. And so then they'll have to wait and do those draws a little bit later.
1: Yeah, I, either way, this is much better than the June draft. Oh, I think. so much better.
0: Yeah. And what it does is it eliminates the possibility that a team could win the draft lottery and also win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Which I think is the right thing, don't you? Yeah, I agree. Okay. Um, We are not going to do a classic game review this week. We're going through the 99 Stars playoff run. Mm -hmm. This week is planned on conference final Stars and the Colorado Avalanche. However, with all this coming out, we felt that we should get it while it's topically fresh. And so we can push back the 99 games because they're not going to change in a week. Yeah, we'll do that next week. We'll do Stars Avalanche, which uh, is awesome to see. Go back and watch. I mean, all the Stars players we've already been watching, but Peter Forsberg and Joe Sackick mm-hmm. and Milan Hayduke and Valerie Kaminsky. Yep. It's, it's a fun team the Avs have in Patrick Waugh. So we'll get mm-hmm. to that next week. But up next, uh, a rather interesting and serious Dallas Stars bit of news came out as Jim Montgomery, their former head coach, spoke publicly. For the first time since his firing.
1: It's getting better all the time.
0: and already Sean has to correct me, and that's okay. So as the lead-up to this segment, we're going to speak about former Dallas Stars head coach Jim Montgomery, who uh, I said gave his first interview. That's not technically correct, Sean, is it?
1: Yeah, it's not technically correct. I mean, this was kind of the largest-scale sit-down story bearing a little bit more that he had with Pierre Lebrun earlier this week. And then he, uh, he also did an, on both the Athletic and in TSN. And then he also did a French version, I believe, with, with RDS as well. But uh, we have to remember a couple of weeks back, uh, three, no, even season was still playing yes. when, when it so happened. It
0: back before the pause.
1: Um, he did talk to Elliot Friedman from Sportsnet about things. And, and he kind of opened up a little bit to Elliot about that. But that was more of a um, just news of it was it was the lead into 31 thoughts and it was definitely intriguing at the time but this was kind of the larger this is the first kind of full-scale jim montgomery talking a little bit about what's happened in the more in depth about what's happened in the five and a half months since he was fired on december 10th
0: so i don't know which order you did but i read pierre's article in the athletic and then i went and watched the it was a remote interview via whatever platform zoom skype facetime mm-hmm. google hangout whatever yeah yeah and yeah. Um, and that was on TSN as you mentioned and it was still pierre so technically i'm sure pierre did that and then wrote it up right yeah. i don't think they did two different interviews there was there was
1: i just to kind of quick cur- so was, was there a phone call first uh, there was uh, there was two different interviews okay
0: so he actually uh, put it together
1: Yeah, um, from uh, as far as just, I mean, I do know this, not as far as, no, I do know. Uh, There was a, him and Jim Montgomery had a phone conversation for his story in The Athletic um, on either Friday or Saturday, whatever day it was. And then him and, and and then Pierre and Montgomery had, did the film, the the FaceTime video thing Monday morning. That's. Okay. Okay. So So it
0: was two different ones. But anyway. Yeah. uh, We've both seen both. Um, I thought you made an interesting comment to me uh, as we were talking about, hey, what are your thoughts about it? And I think we should Mm -hmm. share on it, is that while the article was more detailed and longer than the sit-down, the TV interview, Mm -hmm. there's something to be said, and this is not new news, is that there's a lot of nonverbal communication. There's a reason why when we do our Quarcasts, We do it via FaceTime. We use something else to record it, but we actually can see each other. The body language, facial expressions, and the way you hold yourself, or when you can tell that your co-host is not really paying attention to you, (laughs) is is really helpful in communication. It's not just how you say it, or it's not just what you say, it's also how you say it and how your mannerisms and your tone and inflections. And in the television interview, you get a lot more of the emotion that it's very hard to convey in only written word. Is that fair?
1: I think that's fair. I think that's fair, especially because it is hard to convey, and this is just from a reporting standpoint, it is hard for me to... I've written stories where there's been emotional things and stuff like that, but it's hard to convey emotion in stories from some people when you can't talk to them in person. And even... And so it's it's much easier for me to, uh, it's much easier for me to get and be able to to talk about something with a bigger like, I've done some things with Stephen Jones, or obviously still Stephen John's bigger story is still out there to be told whenever he wants to tell it. And him, and I've talked about it a little bit on the phone as we saw recently, uh, but that is a story that. I would hope, and I don't know if it's possible, but I would hope when the time is time to tell that story is hopefully it's at a time where him and I can sit down face to face because right. that's the type of thing that you can I can be able to I can do a better interview I can I can I can read off him of. and, and that's obviously where this kind of um, this with Jim Montgomery the the, the face the the fa- the interview FaceTime interview whatever it was with with uh, on TSN where you see some more of the emotion you see some more of the um you see some more of the i guess regret you would say in, in kind of in, in his uh in his life and everything in how how he feels about it and so i think that's something that kind of obviously conveys a little bit better on tv um the written stories obviously it, it's definitely interesting but i think obviously the tv format delivered more on what what that was I because think
0: in, a, in a written art if i may interject i think yeah. the the in a written article it's incredibly weighted on the author Mm -hmm. like for example when you're writing an article to convey the emotion you have to set the scene you have to give almost like writing a a theater play you have to sort of describe stage movements and mannerisms whereas when you get it on tv you can actually see whether the level of sincerity a person
1: actually has and be your own judge the other big thing, too, and this is just what is, is a big thing for me on the takeaway of all of this, and it's, it's just, for a written product, details matter more. You can, like, for example, let's use Jamie Benn, just use Jamie Benn, a Jamie Benn quote, <laughs> if you write it down, could mean nothing. Just like if you just write it down, in, but there are times where there's certain Jamie Benn quotes where you have a conversation with Jamie, and... You're like, oh man, that was a really heartfelt, thought felt thing. But then you go and transcribe it, and it feels like he didn't say it. Right. He, he didn't say anything. So it's details matter more. And clearly, with how w- with this whole conversation, and um, while some details did come out about how Jim Montgomery's about Jim Montgomery's uh, life, and and just what he's been dealing with, with what how he and his family have been dealing with all of this, there weren't enough details. There really weren't enough details for it to be that all-powerful, that all-powerful piece of, all-powerful pieces written because you can't see him, and it also wasn't written this way, you can't see him crying, you can't see the tears on his face, you can't see the the kind of that emotional side pack in in the, in the written piece that you saw in that television interview.
0: So let's set the scene a bit here, yep. if we may. Mm-hmm. So. In the article and in the interview with Pierre, Montgomery describes the aftermath of being fired by the Dallas Stars back on, was it December 10th, I believe? December 10th, yeah. And which is game day against the New Jersey Devils at the time. Mm -hmm. And he describes what happened after the fact. He talks about how much shame he felt having to face his wife and kids and and relatives and friends and having to realize that he's hit what he called the lowest of the low. You hope that that is the lowest. You hope that for his sake, it's, you know, seems, I always got along with Monty. Well, I wish him well, I don't want him to get worse and have another rock bottom. I hope that's, I hope he's digging himself out of that now. So anyway, the, what he describes was going to a rehab facility for alcoholism, being there for several weeks, uh, which was an inpatient. He checked himself in there, then coming home and continuing to work on his sobriety with a whole bunch of different methods a meditation and some you know work on himself working with his wife to repair damaged bonds there to having to face his kids and talking about it and and talking about how much better his life is now that he's sober yeah. and he's able to try to make himself a better person so that that was sort of the crux of it then obviously he talked about uh, the regret and the you know and the fact that he didn't hold uh, any ill will towards Jim Neal of the Dallas Stars for their decision they made and said that it was a uh, a very good decision based on his actions and that he, he needed a wake up call and this finally kind of did that and I sure hope Sean for his sake that that's indeed the case. Um, but the one thing that it didn't touch on that I think we are all sort of you know when you said hey Monty's doing a you know did an interview we're all kind of waiting for is he going to address the elephant in the room which is what happened that really led to the firing, because anybody that's, I mean, there have been people that have asked this, but anybody that puts their mind to it can realize the Dallas Stars did not fire Jim Montgomery because he was an alcoholic.
1: No, 100%. That That—that is something where, I think that's something people need to remember, and I think it's something, it's a, it's a point that's been greatly missed, because you get, you have, uh I get people on Twitter who ask, oh, well, the stars bring Jim Montgomery back now that he's getting clean and everything like that. You see that on Twitter. Jim Montgomery was not fired because he was an alcoholic. Um, Alcohol probably and most likely definitely had something to do with whatever the incident. But the act of unprofessional conduct that led to getting him fired and led to the termination of a contract... Was not that he drank too much. It was not that. It was something. It was something else. I don't know what it is. I'm. I have no problem saying I don't know what it is because I don't. Um, but neither fact, do I.
0: But I'm also not it, it, a investigative yeah. journalist. But I but, don't know.
1: But the fact of the matter is, and that's why I've kind of this. It's. This is interesting because, and that. That's to me why I bring up the thing of Jim Montgomery in that story. talked about what's happened in the five and a half months since he was fired, because this doesn't say truly why he was fired if jim montgomery if jim montgomery was really fired because he was an alcoholic he wouldn't be saying it was the right decision it's something where his lawyer his legal representation would be fighting to get him to get him help to saying hey the stars this is your employee it's a disease you need to help him and also to get his money to get also to get his money and so this is um so what,
0: what was the it was the Pierre said $1.7 annually, and he had, what, two and a half years left on it?
1: Um, was it I a four-year? It was a three-year deal. It was a
0: three-year. So he had a year and yeah. a half. So he was, yep. he was about halfway through his contract. So he yeah. still had $1.7 for the 2020-21 season, plus whatever was the remainder yep. of his current salary. So I, would, I think it's safe to say it's 2 to $2.5 million worth of salary that oh, yeah. was terminated
1: it's a, it's no small amount of money no. it's a, and and it's and this is the whole thing that just keeps kind of bringing it that keeps bringing back to me and i truly believe when i tell you this right now i truly believe that there are the amount of people that actually know what you got you in Montgomery fire people that actually know not people that are that maybe think they know something. I think that I truly believe the amount of people that actually know why Jim Montgomery fired is I don't think you could, I don't think you could count it. I don't I think you only need two hands to count it. I think it's think so? a list. I think it's a list that includes Jim Nil, Tom Gallardi, Jim lights stars, legal representation, Jim Montgomery, um, Montgomery's wife, Montgomery's lawyer. And I have a hard time finding someone else who might know other than we don't know if someone else was involved, maybe someone, but, but we don't know. Right. And, and so to me, this is a, Jim Montgomery is is working and is wants to coach again. And that that's, there's no, make no bones about that. He wants to get his livelihood back. He wants sure. to coach again. He needs to start working his way back into I'm a redeemable figure. He needs to work his way into that. And that's kind of where this starts. And I give him... I give him credit for doing that. The one thing that will be, and just the big thing, there, there's two really huge factors, and I don't really have a problem saying this, there's two huge factors that the next person to give Jim Montgomery a chance will have to know. One, they will have to know how his rehabilitation and how his health is going, how his uh, his, his, his battle with alcoholism, how it's going once he's actually not in an environment where he's getting help every day. When he's not what what what, what, what will it look like when he's actually coaching again Isn't and he's that a not a bit
0: of a catch twenty two.
1: It is, it is, but it's also one of those things where there's also there's also there's also a timed timeliness to this too. I mean, I know not personally, but I know I've I've a good friend who's battled addiction, um, not alcoholism, another kind. And I know he's been clean for three years and uh, three and a half years now, I think, but he still has times where he's told me he's even had dreams just like where, about the substance. Wow. And it's the type of thing where this is not something that is, um, it's they, the reason they say it's one day at a time is because it really is. And so they really need to see whoever is going to give Jim Montgomery his next chance really needs to see that progress and how he's being that one day at a time, seven months down the line, eight months down the line, things like that. And the other thing they really need to know and it's not for any of us to judge on it's for that person to judge on cuz it's that's who they would employ they'll need to know what Jim Montgomery actually did to get fired and that's when the truth will come out to that person whether it's whether it's to that team's owner or GM whoever gives that chance i just don't see how you can make a high, you can hire Jim Montgomery again without um, doing your due diligence to find out what that act of unprofessional conduct actually was because if and i don't know what it is but if, if if it is something that breaks you but if it's something that you need to know what that is before you can give him another chance and it makes it makes the whole monty thing very it makes him a very interesting character to try and figure out right because mm-hmm. personally we all want we all want Jim Montgomery and we want everyone to be healthier. We want him to get over this. We want him to get out of whatever, this valley and kind of, and rise up and defeat his, defeat. You don't ever defeat it. That's something that I've been, I've learned is with just talking to my good friend. You don't ever defeat your addiction. It's something you always live with, but it's something that you Overcome. continue you overcome, eh, not even overcome, because if you feel like you've overcome it, then it's, it's, it's something you need to kind of, for many people, you need to kind of mentally check yourself every day mm-hmm. on it. And so it's one of those things where we want him to get to healthy as possible, I'll say sure. it that way. Um, and then the other thing, too, is coaching in the coaching pro hockey or any level of hockey is not a right. Like that's not, it is not a, it's not, it's not in the, it's not in the bill of rights. It's not in the constitution. It's nothing like that. So what, whatever he did, you'll have, someone will have to make the determination of, okay, that's something that is in his past, or he's made amends for that or whatever it is. That's a whole nother thing. It, it makes Jim Montgomery very hard to break down because people say to people says, oh, do you think he'll coach again? Do you think he'll coach again? And I know some people who think he will. I, I, I think my gut says yes, but I also don't know because I don't know the full circumstances. And that's just that's just a fact.
0: Interesting because um, Bill Peters was fired by the Calgary Flames for different reasons about mm-hmm. uh, issues that uh, happened with Akeem Alou. We talked about that a bit last yep. week and some other player things that came up and um, that Calgary felt that they had no choice but to get rid of him. Bill Peters was successful with the Carolina Hurricanes, successful coaching with Calgary, Mike Babcock was fired partly because of what he, he, some of his player interactions. Also, the Maple Leafs weren't as good as they wanted to be. Mike Babcock is a very successful Stanley Cup winning head coach. So you see these guys out here who have some baggage now, Sean, and that's not the first time in sports history that coaches have had baggage. Um, this, as you mentioned from Montgomery's interview, really does feel like a step along the PR rehabilitation train. And mm-hmm. I don't hold that against him. If no, he wants no, no, to yeah. work again, he has to go through that. Uh, I guess we're all just clamoring for more information because there's still so much unsaid. And yeah. maybe we'll just have to, to come to the to grips with the fact that we may never know about what the actual details are.
1: I, I mean, let's, see, let's, use, let's use Bill Peters as an example. Sure. Bill Peters is now coaching in the KHL. Um, he, got, he got a coaching job in the KHL. That KHL team, I don't remember which, they decided that what he said... And what happened, that was something they could live with. That is their decision. Sure. That, is some, that is that is the decision that the employers have to make. Everyone, every employer has to make that. That's why people do a background check. That's why for any job, if you go do a job and you do a background check and your background check comes back with something, your employer has to make that decision on your background check of, I can live with hiring this person or I can't. Right. And that is really where Jim Montgomery is. Um, That's
0: also why Bill Peters went to the KHL because he's coaching. So maybe – and you get paid and it's a job. And maybe if he does well there for a while, maybe an NHL team down the road will say, listen, prove to me that you've changed, that you've taken steps to deal with the issues that got you fired in the first place from Calgary. And if you're a successful – it really predicates on success, right? If Jim Montgomery was not a good hockey coach – then no amount of PR would help him get another job. The fact is that he's won pretty much at every level as a coach. He was a successful <laughs> player before that as a coach in in both youth uh, sorry junior hockey and then in college, he won and he won and was very successful and then getting to the Dallas stars, he got him to the playoffs he got him through nearly the conference final and dug him out of a pretty nasty start to the year and they were playing great hockey so He's shown that he can do it at this level. That's why he could be a marketable commodity later if he can get past yep. this from a image PR standpoint down the road.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing, too, that we just kind of need to... that I think definitely needs to be discussed, and there's only so much we can discuss because we don't know everything, but I do think Jim Montgomery owes a lot to Jim nil here. He, I think... Oh, yeah. I, I, I think, I think, obviously, I think... Jim Montgomery is fortunate that Jim Nill's moral compass was to to take the bullets, because Jim Nill, I, I I think Jim Nill is the type of person who, I know Jim Nill's this type of person, but in this situation, I'm just th- trying to use my own personal evidence of watching, Jim Nill is the type of person who, he tried to protect the Montgomery family as much as possible mm-hmm. during all of this. Um, by just deciding, hey, it was an act of unprofessional contact. That's all I'm going to say. And Jim Nill is the one who... Jim Nil's taken some... People have taken some shots at Jim Nill. Some, and he's the one who's taken... His armor has taken a little bit of shots of people who are saying, oh, Jim Montgomery should be back, or why, how could you do this, and everything like that. And he has never... Jim Nil has never said anything beyond I support Jim Montgomery. And publicly, Jim Nil has never said anything beyond I support Jim Montgomery and I want him to him and his family the best. He never confirmed. That's that's the other big thing here. The stars have never confirmed or denied that Jim Montgomery was fired for being an alcoholic. However, you don't fire people because they're an alcoholic. There are lots of this is sad to say, and this I'm not trying to burst anyone's bubble here. But if Jim Montgomery was just an alcoholic, he'd still be coaching in the NHL. There are a That's... lot
0: of pl- people in pro sports that have had issues with substance abuse that didn't yep. lose their jobs because of it.
1: Yeah. So I, I don't want to... Bur- I'm not trying to burst any bubbles, but if Jim Montgomery was just a heavy drinker and an alcoholic, he'd still be coaching the Dallas Stars right, right now. So.
0: Well, we wish Monty the best. Um, again, a lot of, lot of questions still hang out there. Mm-hmm. We may have to live with that. Yep. But up next... Maybe some cheery talk, it's lightning round time. Lightning round time. Let's get right at it today. Sean Chevchelios begins the list of questions this week with saying the 2014 playoff in line to start. Do you see the Stars with a good opportunity to go deep in this playoff?
1: Uh, I think they have just as much of an opportunity to go deep in this playoff as they would have fit in the traditional format. Um, I think, actually, let me rephrase that slightly. I think that they, they have a slight. There is a slightly better chance. Um, this format could have dinged them if they weren't in the top four, like because then they would have had worse chance. They would have had a chance where they might not have even have made it in a, in a, in a five game series. Well, let's
0: let's point yeah. that out there. Yeah. If they went off points instead of point percentage, the stars yeah. are where the Edmonton Oilers are at. Yeah, they would then have to play the Chicago Blackhawks in a 5 <laughs> 12 best of five play in, and we'd be talking a lot more about. Oh, I don't know if this feels great. I mean, one thing we didn't discuss during the first segment today was the two dissenting teams, where the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Carolina Hurricanes in the NHL Players Association vote on this format. And you heard Rod Brindamore say some pretty forceful things about not feeling like the grind of the season is appreciated. Now, look, they all said they want to play. Tampa said the same thing. But Mm -hmm. I think that it's okay that they weren't unanimous in that vote, because they could still dissent and say, look, we're not happy about this, but at the end
1: of the day, still go out and show up. No, and that's, that's fair. I mean, you have to remember that vote was not a vote, do you want to play? It was a vote on a format. Right. So, um, And I but think I, they
0: knew that it was going to pass. Yeah. So it wasn't like, hey, you're, you hold the deciding vote here.
1: Yeah. Um, but to, to, to answer the question, could the Stars go deep in this playoff? The other One other thing that I think and this is just kind of a, this is a big what if I don't know, is I don't know if uh, I don't know who they who they get. I mean, to me, one of the big things with the stars, and I've said this, I have no issue saying this, is they they have this this hex of the St. Louis Blues they haven't been able to get past in the traditional format. No matter what, they probably would have gotten St. Louis in the second round. Now maybe they don't. Yeah, we don't really know.
0: No, I know, especially we, with we, the seating. Yeah, so we, we don't. We, Let's, we don't. let's talk about that real quick. So, yes. they have not decided yet. See, there's so many things we didn't even bring up in our first segment. They haven't decided yet whether they're going to reseed after the qualifying play in round or they're going to do some sort of bracket. Yeah. Of course, they don't even know the potential, uh, the stars don't know their potential opponent because it could be anybody because they have to play a round robin to determine the top four seeds in the West anyway. Mm-hmm. And with all of that being said, I don't know about you, Sean. I don't think it matters, ultimately. I think yeah. that if you did a bracket, fine, we'll deal with it. If you did the seating, But if you ask me, I think seating would be a lot better. Yeah, let's, let's, let's jump to Luke's question. Okay. Because uh, we're going we're to skip to skip question because he asked our thoughts about Montgomery. We just did a whole segment on yeah. that. Thanks yeah. for the question. Yeah. So Luke's question is, if the play, year, this year's playoffs go well, do you think the league would consider adopting elements of the format permanently, for example, conference-based seating or increasing the number of teams? Yeah. I hope so. I mean, there had already been calls, uh, for better or for worse, of we should go back to conference seating instead of the divisional format, which I'm not as big a fan of, the divisional.
1: I, I like conference-based seating. Personally, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Um, I number of teams, I hope not, because I think there is... I already, I, I, to me, right now, you have more than 50% of the teams get into the playoffs. And so ma- making the playoffs should be more of an accomplishment in my mind. Well, in 2 uh, years
0: it's going to be half the teams. If you yeah. keep the format the same, um, so there'll be 32. The,
1: the one the one adjustment I could be okay with is if all of a sudden, hey, we get some sort of 8-9 wild card game in the future. I'd
0: be okay uh, if you expanded it to a 4 team wild card and they had to play in to get to the
1: 8. What, just to take like seven, eight, nine, no. and 10 play?
0: Uh, I, uh, Yeah, so sorry, 7 through 10, yes. Okay. So the top six make it regardless of, of division. Obviously, if you win your division, you get the first two seasons. Yeah. That would be whether or not you expand the playoffs in the future. Yeah. I think you should have the division winners in each conference be 1 and 2, and then the next six should be best overall. Now, if you have the wild cards like you have now, I think the two that are in the wild card and the two that are right below that should have to duke it. If you're going to do it, why not?
1: Yeah. I, I, I think it's like, I, I do think the, I see kind of the appeal of the, I see the baseball wild card game, just yes. kind of the one game drama of that, which is, which everyone watches. So wouldn't a best uh, of I five could, be fun for a couple? I mean, you'd have four bad. series. I think it's too much. Like, honestly, I, I think it's, I think it's too much. You like, be best of three. I would, I, if you're gonna, I would do one game. Like honestly, yeah. if you're gonna do one, like it's I, I, for all the people that don't like
0: that, you say, well, then have a better record and be in the top six.
1: Yeah, no, like yeah, I but I I, I think I could see it and I could get on board with it. I don't like the idea of an, of a fifth series. Like it's just it's a lot. Um, I mean,
0: it's a long playoff se- round to begin with. Um, it's a long one
1: already, and you've already got players. the The wear and tear is already massive. So. um
0: I would say like to see
1: some things. We'll see. We'll see how this yeah. format
0: goes. I would like to see um, the seeding part change back to the way it used to be. Yes. Um, because, look, I get it. You know, some divisions are stronger than others year to year. But, like, the the rivalry in the playoffs, does to me, doesn't have to be the division. It doesn't have to be St. Louis-Chicago. It could be, like, the Stars played the Edmonton Oilers a bunch. The yeah. Stars ended up playing Colorado a bunch. Now, Colorado's in the division, but... Like, those games, those games, 99 games, the ones in the 90s against Detroit, like, or even even later than that, 08 and 2013 against the... uh, Or, sorry, 2014 against Anaheim, right? Those those are organic. The ones that are forced just... It hasn't just manufactured itself the way I think they And it also...
1: And by doing the division one, you kill off those other potential organic ones. Now, like, you have rivalries that... Now they hardly ever meet in the playoffs, or maybe they could. And I, I, I think that's an issue. Um, let's see. Next one we've got is from uh, Tanner Wilson. Um, just, but definitely, uh, just this isn't a question. He said, if you could just mention the latest with uh, Angela Burt, the Stars Elite Girls player uh, who's who's been missing since Tuesday. Uh, I've been, I saw on Twitter recently. They're still looking for. I don't. Um, oh no, there was an update you didn't see. Oh, oh I did not see.
0: So. I will. So if you want to give the backstory, I'll have to go over to that. Um, I saw. Oh, I'm looking on Twitter. I'm looking on Twitter right now. Found and home safe after a couple. So that, of days that, that, that's
1: that's that's wonderful news. Then yep. that's wonderful news. I had not seen that. Uh, yeah, the
0: Stars Elite Girls Hockey Team Twitter updated about 12 hours ago, saying. Oh, she's I was been found fountain and she's safe, so that's really good news.
1: I would not have been safe at that time. I would not I would not have been awake at that time. Yes. So okay. Gotcha. So oh that's that's wonderful news then. Obviously, yep. uh we're very happy for the Burt family that Angela's home. Obviously she's a uh Angela's I believe fifteen year old girl who yep. who had gone missing uh, earlier this week and there's it's a scary, search party. Yeah. Extremely scary. So very happy for the Burt family. Um, Let's go to Christian's question. Does being
0: home or away even matter in these playoffs? There's no crowd. Mostly all teams will be in an arena that isn't their home arena. Does last change make that big of an impact, especially in the playoffs?
1: Um, I think, I mean, it's, I think it makes a difference. It, does. it definitely yeah, it, it does. D- it definitely makes a difference. Um, it's not it's not going to be as impactful as playing in your home building and the comforts of home and your home crowd and everything like that. But but it is such it is a tactical thing and it is one of the um, in my view one of the if you are the difference between a good coach and a great coach is how you can take advantage of matchups and of and the little
0: things that change the outcome in your favor right because let's face it there's not a lot between the nhl teams there are a few things but i think good coaching versus bad coaching or even mediocre coaching can Mm -hmm. make a difference just as much as a good player can because you know we we always look at the nfl which is a little bit more of a hands-on coaching thing because they actually call the plays and set things up but i think you can uh really make a difference uh I'll bring it back to soccer, which has a little bit more of that free-flowing style of hockey. Yeah. Um, Roberto Martinez, who was the former manager at Everton in the English Premier League, and then I think, is he still the Belgian national coach? I don't know I if think he is so. or not. I don't know, um, but I think... But he had said that he thought that a manager could affect a team's season performance by about 10%. <laughs> that good coaching can can have that kind of a an impact. Well, I'll tell you what. In small margins, Sean, and I I don't know if you watched the first episode of the Lance Armstrong 30 for 30. I haven't watched it yet, but it's on the docket. They were talking about the difference in doping, right? The difference between the best and the worst cyclist in the Tour de France is about two hours in a three-week race, right? Which is about 2% of the overall time. Yeah. Well, if you take this EPO and it gives you a 10% performance bonus... Well, that's a big difference for when the gap is two percent, right? Yeah, so that's what my point is, is. I think while coaching isn't the end all, I think that being the one that can handle those last change matchups can make a significant difference. Because I think that whoever gets designated the home team and gets last change in these games, regardless of not having the support of the crowd behind them, that's going to be a tactical advantage.
1: Yeah, for sure, and I think. I think the other thing that you're going to kind of see too, just as far as, um, I'm sh- I think you'll notice teams that are better on the road, typically may have, may have a, may, may play better in this, and and that's not. And this is just a very small minutia detail, but I'm, I'm like if you look at teams that are good on the road, and a lot of the times the teams that are good on the road are just good teams in general. <laughs> so, um, uh, but I, I think there's something to um, if you're used to going into an environment that's not normal and succeeding, this you'll be able to do. Um, you'll you'll do. You, maybe that gives you a slight edge. That's just a theory. But
0: Crawdaddy writes in: Many hockey fans yearn for the old days of white jerseys at home. The ECHL and AAC, AHL switch home colors midway through the season. Do you think that this solution would ever find its way to the NHL, and if so, would you be in favor of it?
1: Well, I, I personally like the white jerseys at home. I, I, I like the um I like the concept of I mean, right now, every single Dallas Stars home game you go to it is green versus white. You go to forty one games a year, it is green versus white. Yep. Every time. Um uh, as opposed to if it would be white versus red, white white versus blue, white versus like it Get the to whole me spectrum. Yes, and it let's, um I I like the uh I, I like the white at home. I would be on board with the switch at the All-Star Bake, switch at Christmas break or whatever. I would be on board with the switch that the AHL and ECHL do.
0: I mean, I get it. The victory green in Dallas is very bold. It's great to see all the green in the, in the stands. If you just saw a bunch of white jerseys, would it be the same? Maybe not. I mean, Chicago, Blackhawks, all the red all over the place, yeah. the blue of the, of the Maple Leafs, of the New York Rangers. I get it. The Nashville yellow. Here's the thing. When we watch those old 99 games, it's back to white at home. And, for, like, I grew up that way. So yeah, I yeah. was, for a really long time, after the NHL switched to the dark colors at home, I really struggled with identifying the home team because in my brain it was so, you know, ingrained of, you see the white, that's the home team.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: we've been in the, even though I don't like it, I like white at home better. I like yeah. the darker jerseys on the road. Or I think that because you get the, the variety much better. I'm so used to it now that even though I don't like it, when I watch the 99 and I see the stars wearing their darks on the road, I go, wait, wait, are they the home? Like, it actually threw me for a loop a couple of times because <laughs> even though I don't like it, I'm used to it now. Yeah. So I would love to see it. I, I know the switch. I mean, how do you? I guess that's the, the best solution. The best would, for me would be white jerseys at home the whole year. But teams don't want to do that because they like their dark jerseys for marketing and it seems to sell more than the whites.
1: Yeah, I don't well, you know, also, Sean.
0: I guess the switch would be okay, but you're still half of the teams that you see in your building are going to be wearing white.
1: Yeah, I mean, at least... I mean, I know Carolina was a team this year that he did not like. Uh, he had them wear... Were they wearing a different one on the road? Well, trying they, to remember they didn't which... like
0: the whites at all?
1: I don't think he... I, I don't think liked, like liked... I think Carolina wore, wore the reds on the road like... Eight or nine times this year,
0: as much as they could.
1: Yeah, uh, but they also obviously had to get all the
0: black jerseys
1: too, didn't they? The all black. Yep. But to get that, they had to get the approval of the right. home team of like, hey, so. Um, yeah. I think they did. I think they. I think they did it in Dallas. I think, but. God, I'd have to go back and look at those yeah. pictures. So, uh, let's go.
0: go to the next one. French toasts. Uh, several commentators saying LeBron ran a puff piece. Do you believe Monty's contrition is genuine? I really like Monty. He was so great with the media. Honest and engaging. More fun for fans. Any chance GM hires another young, vibrant coach again?
1: Lots of questions there. I mean, we talked a lot about Monty in the the last one, in the last segment before this, but I think just to kind of go through, uh, is it a puff piece? No, it's a story that needs to be told, but it's not the full story. Um, Was he he gentle? um, I think... I, th- I think you can definitely say, when you look at where, if you take a look at how this kind of rollout happened, where there was the, Pierre did the TV interview and did that, and then there was also the one, there was definitely the feeling of this is orchestrated by Jim Montgomery's agent. Sure. To, 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 to fix his image.
0: Well, let me ask you this, because I don't want to give Pierre Lebrun a lot of guff. He's a great reporter and mm-hmm. obviously was doing it for a long time, and well before I got into the NHL. Do you think that as a journalist, getting the story or getting a story is better than really pressing somebody and saying, well, I'm not going to talk about it, so you can ask me 10 times, you're not going to get anything, and then you get nothing out of it. Is it better to get at least part of the story, if not the whole thing?
1: No, yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's that that is. If, if Jim Montgomery, I sat down in a room with Jim Montgomery right now to do an interview, and he said, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm still going to do my job not talk about it. Right. But I also know that if I want to continue the conversation at all, I am going to have to just attribute it to, this is something he doesn't want to talk about right now. Right. And that's, you can't force someone to talk about something. It so, would
0: be different if you were doing a television live interview. Let's say, if you yeah. wanted to really put somebody's feet to the fire, put them in the hot seat, the only way to do it is to do it live. Because mm-hmm. with the cameras rolling... They can't say, I'm not going to talk about it, and then just walk away. I mean, with the one that he did with, with Pierre, he asked him point up, straight up what, what happened, and, and Jim talked about you know, moving on. He didn't really spend yeah. a lot of time. He didn't answer the question at all. You could see the underlying message was he didn't want to answer the question. Yep. So, so. I just find it interesting because there was no follow-up, and I'm not holding that against Pierre. I, just, I think I want to point out that it, it could have been a much more hostile-style interview, and that's not what this was.
1: And, and and you have to remember, understand too. This is the type of interview too, where there's nothing beholding Jim Montgomery to give interviews right now. Correct. So there's there's not like he's a. It's not like he's got an employer beholding him to it. It's not like he's he's got he's got anything else beholding him to it. So it's. I mean, this is literally. This this really is part of. Okay, it's important to learn part of this story, but we also have to remember the context of. Hey, this is a a piece that was done to get him back into the public image and you have to understand what happened, uh, how, how that works. So, How about the last not... part
0: of the question, Sean? Do you think there's a chance that, the, that Jim Nill will hire another young, vibrant coach again?
1: Any chance... Is this... A, is this I, I guess this question kind of confused... Any chance... Is this about the Stars hiring yes, a young, vibrant coach? I think you're talking about Jim Nill, yes. Okay. I mean, yes, I think so. I think well, there's definitely... I guess the, the
0: other way to ask this, I think, is does hiring Monty and then having to fire him because of this put Jim Nill off of going for another less proven candidate as opposed to going out and hiring a Gerard Gallant, Peter Laviolette, Mike Babcock st- guy, kind of guy. Yeah, I, I, like,
1: I, I, don't, I don't think Jim Montgomery's departure changes anything how Jim Nill views his hirings. I think it's one of those things where, if anything, maybe it changes how he does, how he does background checks, but I don't think it changes sure. anything about the type of coach. I agree.
0: Uh, next question, Jared. Playoffs happen. Dallas wins a cup. Who will be our Conn Smythe winner, which will be the MVP of the playoffs? Sub-question, has lo- a losing teams player ever won the Conn Smythe? In fact, uh, I know for a fact that it has because Ron Hextall did in a year that the Flyers lost to the Edmonton Oilers, but he was so good. And I'd love to go back and watch some of those games because apparently it was the Oilers against Ron Hextall in that series. What was One that g 7
1: Oh, uh, was that, maybe that was 86. One of those years. And yeah. then, 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 and Sebastian Jager won the Smythe in 2003 when the, when the ducks and uh, devils went all the way to game seven that year.
0: I guess the question would be in this day and age, if you're going to, I mean, first of all, I have the most respect for a Smythe winner. If your team loses, because it means you were incredible. I mean, you have to yeah. be head and shoulders, the best player in the series to get anywhere near it. Or I guess not just the series, but the whole playoffs. Yeah. Um, I mean, what happens if... Um,
1: could there be a non-goalie losing team con Smythe winner? That, I mean, that's the one that I don't know if you'll ever get. Because what if you set
0: like all sorts of scoring records and just led the way, you scored a ton of goals, assists, ton of points to get to the final, and then you score all the goals for your team and end up losing in a very tight seven-game series? Um, you've done everything you could, but your team just wasn't as good as their team, even though you've scored... I don't know, you play 25 or so games in the playoffs, maybe you scored 35 goals or something crazy like that.
1: Yeah. Has it never happened with, uh, with We'd a We'd have to do some skater? research
0: on that. I'd like to think that it has, but I don't Hold have on. an I, answer for I it. I did
1: the quick Google search. Um, no, it's just been five goalies who it's happened with. Okay. Well, that makes um,
0: sense, right? Because the goalie's the most influential position typically on the ice. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I... You could even make the case... so. For the, to answer the first question, if the Stars won the Cup, who would be the Conn Smythe winner? Um, I, I think the easiest. I mean, to me, the easiest answer is you're looking at a guy who, with with how the Stars play and how their scoring goes, you're not going to have that guy who's going to run away with points. It's probably going to be Ben Bishop. Got to be
0: I think absolutely but, right. Like,
1: uh, especially because now the con Smythe Trophy pretty much now goes to kind of the leading scorer. Or the the goalie now. I mean Well it's watching been... the
0: ninety nine playoffs Sean, it was clear, I mean we know this. We haven't even talked oh, about yeah. the last two rounds, but it was clear that Joe Newendyke was their best player. But Ed yes. Belfour could easily have been the Smythe winner too, because those two guys I think were the most influential during that entire run.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's really rare that you have um, it, it's a hard award for a defenseman to win. Just for example, like I think, I know Duncan Keith won it once. Um, he, was on he
0: was like Zubov numbers, right? He was on the ice yeah. the whole
1: game. Yeah, I know, I know. I think I know Niedermeyer won it. Um,
0: so in, in the long run, if the stars down the road, I don't think this year. But Miro could be a guy that could potentially. But even then, it is really hard for a defenseman to to win that that trophy.
1: Yeah, like I mean, yeah, it's it's one of those where it's. It's not... Uh, <laughs> so, I, yeah, I think we're, we have to go with Ben Bishop for the answer of this, of this question, if that's the case.
0: So, uh, last question, before we okay. wrap up our lightning round today, is from Ardell. John Klingberg's production, says Ardell, has fallen off a cliff the last few years. Am I wrong about that? What needs to happen for him to impact games and score goals? I don't think I like the qualifier of the last few years, Sean. I think, really, this season, we've seen John Klingberg have a starkly lower performance than his typical standard. But I don't think it's been the last few years, do you. Uh,
1: no, I think it's been I think the whole team has kind of stalled offensively a bit the past 2 years. I think obviously John Klingberg's part of that. I think his I think one of the biggest one of the biggest things with John Klingberg about just what's happened offensively is it's been kind of a combination of People know who he is. People have been focusing on him more in the league. There's any element of surprise is gone. Um, and the other thing too, and I and I think this is something that people, you know, Ardell asked, what needs to happen for him to impact games and score goals. I disagree with the comment that John Klingberg doesn't impact games. I think oh, people yeah. don't realize. I I don't think I don't. While well, his point numbers have taken a hit and his production numbers have taken hit, People don't realize how much John Klingberg does to get the puck out of the Stars' defensive zone. The controlled exit, the controlled entries, all of those things, particularly the controlled exits, that a lot of other Stars players don't do. Miro Heiskanen does it now, but Esa Lindell, Roman Pollock, a lot of the rest of the Stars' defense doesn't skate with the puck out of the zone. So um, I
0: still think, Sean, that the 15-16 Stars with Klingberg and Golagoski together yeah. was maybe the best... Pairing they've had together. Now I'm not saying that Klingberg and Hayskin in together. I mean Miro's younger and they're working on it. But as far as having two guys that played together, where it wasn't, you know, obviously weighted to one side of the ice. You know, for Mm -hmm. example, Klingberg has the puck. They you target him. Golagoski gets the puck and he gets out and he's a threat to clear it and move and pass it. uh, Essa is obviously much better than he was at it, but he's not at that level no. of threat. And so yeah. when Golagoski left after his contract was up, and obviously the Stars weren't going to re-sign him for five years, there John had a, a tough transition because he no longer had that support on his defensive pairing, who not just could help, but also drew some of the attention of the forecheck away from John Klingberg.
1: Yeah, and the the other thing too, and there's a there's a uh... Um, so, point one, John Klingberg does impact games. Does he need to score goals? I mean, the other thing, just as far as you talk about scoring goals, this is not just a John Klingberg thing. This is a league-wide thing for NHL defensemen. NHL defensemen don't score as many goals anymore because of the shot-blocking mentality the league has. That's why more of his points, look look at Brent Burns' goals, look at Eric Carlson's goals, look at the guys who we think of as these top offensive defensemen, their goals have gone down the past yeah, couple of years. Also, goalies stop yes. those
0: shots, right? We watch Al McGinnis in that mm-hmm. 99 second round series with the Stars and Blues just cranking these vicious, albeit awesome one-timers and slap shots from the blue line, but goalies make that save because of technique yeah. and equipment and their overall physical size.
1: Yeah, and, and more so now the role of a defenseman offensively in many ways, aside from bringing the puck into the zone when it comes to points, is create is getting through those layers getting through those and part of that i think john klingberg will be more effective once we see his chemistry of joe pavelsi continue i yep. think that's something that we saw a little bit of before the stoppage so that, that's still there the other thing that i think don't think can be ignored about john klingberg and just kind of the thing that we have to remember these are people like that's the other thing too it's like these are people and people playing this game and it's john klingberg no it's not a video game and john klingberg for a long time had the ego and rightfully so you have to have that athletic swagger to play in the NHL but he had the ego that I can win a Norris trophy and I will and I'm the best player on, he can I'm take the best defenseman I can take over games I'm the best defenseman on this team he can still take over games but he's no longer the best defenseman on his own team right. and when you have an ego and you have a swagger about you that says I can win a Norris trophy someday and all of a sudden you're not the best player on your team because of Miro Heiskanen that's a bit of a gut check, and yeah, I that's think that's an interesting debate, isn't it? No, and I, but I think it's, it's a, one of those no, things. it's
0: a really interesting topic of discussion.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that is definitely something that's come into play for John Klingberg yeah. too, where there has been, and it can lead to one of two things. It can lead to you're putting more pressure on yourself to okay, I have to be better than Miro which sometimes make could lead to too much pressure and pressure can lead to gripping the stick too much and things like that. And I think that's kind of what it's led to a little bit with John. So there is, um, it the stars are a better team because Miro Heiskanen is better than John Klingberg, but John, that doesn't mean John, but that is also, it has that impact on, on Klingberg of he used to be the golden boy. Now he's been replaced already as the golden boy and the guy who is, Hey, John Klingberg was the guy we talked about could win a Norris trophy someday. No one in Dallas talks about John Klingberg winning a an Norris anymore. It's, it's when will Miro Hachkin win a Norris. It's right. not John Klingberg could win one.
0: Well, that wraps up our list of questions for the lightning round. I still want to go back to what, the way we started this and say that it has just been an enlightening Quarkast thanks to discovering Sean's incredibly limited <laughs> knowledge of Pop-Tarts. <laughs>
1: I have nothing else to say. Let's go have some Pop-Tarts. that's a
0: great way to end. Thanks for (laughs) listening. We will see you next week for our first Quarcast of the month of June. Until then, enjoy your weekend, everyone.
1: Have you ever put butter on a Pop-Tart? It's so freaking good. Have you ever put butter on a Pop-Tart? If you haven't, then I think you should. I was sitting in the kitchen one day and I was itching to fill up my belly with the piping hot jelly of the best damn treat in the world. He's talking Pop-Tarts! And I saw a stick of butter and it almost made me shudder and scream like a baby girl. I don't want a giant penis or a rocket trip to Venus, I don't want to win the lottery. I just want to squat and gobble till I'm dizzy and I wobble in a Butterfruit and Joe's dream. So I put butter on a Pop-Tart, it was so freaking good. Have you ever put butter on a Pop-Tart? If you haven't, then I think you should. Everybody, come along with us. Have you ever put butter on a
0: Pop-Tart?
1: It's so freaking good. Have you ever put butter on a Pop-Tart? If you haven't, then I think you should with butter